the death of John the Baptist. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus, and he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had seized him and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had been saying to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him in death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod. So that he pleased, so he would promise with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me the head of John the Baptist here in the platter. And the king was sorry because of his oath and his guest. He commanded it be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and he brought it to her mother. Good morning, church. It's good to see you here today. Beautiful day. Spring is on the way. And we get to lose that hour of sleep next weekend. So I know you're getting geared up for that. I do like the daylight at the end of the day, though. So I'm looking forward to that. Glad that you're here in worship. We are in the story, and I probably haven't mentioned this as I should week by week, but if you have arrived here and weren't here as we began the story, we're studying from a book, and if you don't have a copy that breaks down the chapters in the way that we're doing that, uh, please see one of us, and we would love nothing more than to get a, a copy of this book into your hands. That, that, that'll help put you on the same page, in the same section of Scripture uh, that we're looking at on a week-to-week basis. We're in week 24, and I hope you were able to read this week because there is so much going on in the ministry of Jesus. It's, it's one of those where we couldn't cover it all during the course of a brief lesson. Uh, and what you see Jesus about, you see parables. You see him teaching. You see him sitting down with people. And and one of the frequent things that he'll say as he teaches during this section of the story, he'll say, the kingdom of heaven is like. And then he'll illustrate something that they can latch on to and something that they can understand. Jesus the master teacher. But there's one thing that maybe we sometimes lose sight of, one thing that, that, that makes the teaching of Jesus extremely powerful, and, and I hope you've picked up on that. What is it that makes His teaching so powerful? Everything Jesus said was and is important. But when you look at the life that He lived, More than anything else, the life that he lived allowed people to see, not just hear, what the kingdom of heaven is like. And you can hear it, and if you don't see it, then you've got a problem. I I wanted to yell amen super loud. A few years ago I heard a, a preacher, he was talking with us who are preachers, and he said, he said, my wife would tell you he's really great at talking about it, but he doesn't always live it the way he talks about it. And I wanted to say, well, amen, that's a problem sometimes. And maybe for all of us, but see, Jesus, he could talk about it. But then when people looked at his life, they could see it. And it made him very, very effective in his teaching. And so for a few minutes this morning, what I'd like to do is allow Matthew... To take us into a day in the life of Jesus. 
to see the things that he's talking about being lived out. Now, as we set this up, I've got a question for you. Have you ever been literally punched in the gut? I mean, had the wind completely knocked out of you? Now, growing up, it might shock you to know I wasn't really a fighter. I didn't get in a lot of fights, and that may just shock you to see me, but that wasn't my thing. And But I do remember in elementary school one, one day at recess, I climbed up on the monkey bars, and there was a section you could go to, had sort of a fireman's pole you could use to come down. And as I transitioned off, to, off of the monkey bars onto the fireman's pole, I slipped, fell, pretty much landed flat on my back. And even as an elementary school kid, I, I did what we often do today. I popped up, because you got to look around and see who saw you fall. I, I, I darted over to the, the stairs to the slide, went up to the top, and when I got to the top of the slide, I realized I can't breathe. I don't have any air in my lungs, and I had to sit up there for a while to recover. We've got, we understand the idea of having the wind completely knocked out of us. And sometimes bad news is that way. We receive bad news and sometimes it's literally, it's like a punch to the gut. That's why we talk about it that way. It will completely take the wind out of us. Sometimes it is that unexpected loss. Hearing about my friend Nate this morning, it's like a punch to the gut. I wasn't expecting to come in and hear that somebody so young is gone. I can remember as a, about 10 years of age, I was in bed at my grandmother's house on my dad's side, and it was the day of my great-grandmother's funeral. She'd been sick and in the nursing home, and her, her, her passing, it was expected. It wasn't something shocking. But in the middle of the night, the phone rings. And all of us understand that when the phone rings in the middle of the night, there's just something about it. It's breaking the stillness. It's, it's loud. And normally, often, it, it's not good news. And uh, my grandfather on my mother's side had passed unexpectedly. He was much younger. And I can just remember the sadness for my mother. Because it was a trip home to do some laundry, to repack, and then to head north. And even as a youngster, I can remember that. It, it was a punch in the gut to her. Uh, sometimes it's not surviving the company downsizing. Uh, let's face it, in an honest moment, there is never an opportune time. There's never a good time to lose a job. And I can remember in my corporate days, sitting in our facility in Memphis, and I was going in, I had to sit in with my boss while he went through that process between five and ten times in the same day. It was on Valentine's Day, no less. And it was horrible for everybody. It, my boss, he, he still had a job, but it ripped his heart out. He didn't enjoy that process. It was awful for everybody. Sometimes maybe it's the, the breakup of a relationship that you never saw coming. I've probably heard that one described as a punch in the gut more than maybe any other because in the moment that it's, it's unforeseen and it definitely hurts and there's also this realization that, that some lives are about to change and often the lives that are about to change are our young children who are innocent and, and so life is going to be different for them. Uh, a couple of years ago I tried to get in touch with one of my growing up buddies. He lives up in Illinois and I was having trouble making contact with him and since maybe something was going on and when I finally got in touch later on, 
found out I was trying to get in touch with him right about the time that he found out his wife had been cheating on him. And when we finally got together for a meal later on and we were able to talk, he said, you know, I feel like all those years, and he's got a son who's basically an adult, and I said, he said, I felt like all those years were just wasted years of my life after going through that. Then maybe sometimes it's the medical report that's less than favorable, that moment when we're left with lots of questions and very few answers. And you may be sitting here thinking, okay, we're talking about Jesus. Why are you bringing all, these, all of these things up? And, and, I, and I want to be sensitive to the idea. I realize we've got many right here in this church family who are trying to breathe again after having been hit by these kinds of things. I get that. But the reason we bring it all up is this. What we're about to see in the life of Jesus in, a, in, a, in just a day of His ministry, it's a day when He's been punched literally in the gut. It's a day when He's hurting. It's a day when He's received that kind of bad news. And so as we dive into this, I want you to understand the big idea of today's lesson. I want, I want to get that out there for you right now. Because when you look at Jesus, His emotions, His reaction is human. It's ordinary. But His, his selflessness, even in the moment of pain, is extraordinary. John the Baptist is dead. I don't know exactly what the disciples said. I don't know how they verbalized that to him when they arrived. But in Matthew chapter 14, the reading that just occurred, see, the thing that's been behind the scenes, John the Baptist, uh, we get the explanation of why Herod has him murdered. John's been calling out the adulterous lifestyle of King Herod. And Herod kind of wants to kill him, but kind of doesn't want to. He kind of fears the crowd. And so there's this out-of-control birthday party, and the, the, the daughter of Herodias, Herod's wife, is there. And he makes her this promise, you ask for whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. And she says, well, you know what? And, and this is with Mama's coaching, of course. But she says, you know what? I think... What I'll take for my birthday or your birthday for this present, what I want is a platter with the head of John the Baptist on it. You know, we read through Scripture and we've read through it over and over and it's, it gets kind of sterile to us. But see, if we're, you know, if we're scrolling through social media and there's a video of all this popping up, this is one of those videos where it's going to have this warning that says graphic images to follow. I mean, this is Monday I, I took a, we cooked a roast and we were going to put it on a platter and take it over to the meal of a family who was going through a, a time of, of loss. And, you know, I, I've got this platter in front of me. I cannot imagine taking a human head and putting it on a platter and delivering it to somebody because that's what they've asked for, but, but that's, that's the news. That's what's going on. And so the Bible says the disciples, they take this headless body and they take it away and they bury it and then they go and they report to Jesus. John is dead. John's been beheaded. John's been murdered. It wasn't an accident. It's not like he got a sickness that he couldn't get past. He's, and, and oh, by the way, it's not lost on Jesus that the reason John has lost his life, your friend is dead because he was out there doing some work for you. He was preparing the way for, for you. He was your friend, yes, but he's, his ministry is why he's dead. 
And in the emotion of the moment, Jesus reacts much like you or I would react. Jesus wants to get away. Jesus wants to, in one sense, be alone, but be alone so that He can connect with God the Father. But the people won't allow it. And so that's the backstory. That's what's going on in the life of Jesus with everything that He's going to encounter that day. That's what's behind it all. And so when you get on, and I'm not going to read all of Matthew 14 today, you can read that, but the first thing you're going to see out of the gate is His compassion. Because He leaves in the boat trying to get away, and as He's arriving on shore, He sees people. He sees people everywhere. And the Bible says there that as He sees those people He feels compassion for them. That's verse 14. You think about it when we're... we see somebody lose somebody close to them and sometimes in a moment of deep grief, maybe they lash out. Maybe they say some things they wouldn't normally say. And, and we are, we're full of grace in those moments because we know that if that person is... And, it, and they don't know, that's not them, that's not how they normally act. They're hurting, and that's why they say those things. For Jesus, in the moment of hurting, it's compassion. And it says he feels that. It's not contrived. It's not one of those where he's thinking, well, I, yeah, I'm hurting, but if I don't act like I care about these people, they may not listen to my next lesson. It's nothing like that. It says he, he feels compassion for these people, and he starts healing their sick. His selflessness is extraordinary. And then there's His service. Because the next thing that we're going to see in Matthew chapter 14 is Him feeding a group that is somewhere, it's beyond 5,000, it could be 10,000, we don't have an exact number. And maybe those of you in the room who are mamas understand this better than anyone else, but how many times as a mom have you stood at that stove and cranked out a meal when it's all you can do to stand on your feet because you're sick or you don't feel good or something's going on, and you feed your family... And in that moment of just being able to barely get that done, you're not doing it because you're thinking about yourself. You're doing it because you love your family. So you mamas understand how this works. But here's Jesus feeding people who are eventually, some of whom may be involved in putting Him on the cross. Imagine being in Jesus' inner circle that day. Imagine being one of the guys because you're kind of on staff. You're kind of working with Jesus in this. And imagine how irritating that day likely was. How many people have come up to you and asked during the day, okay, when am I going to get my healing? When do I get to the front of the line? When is this line finally going to move? And you want to have a shirt on that day that says, I don't know. I just don't know. Hang in there. Maybe Jesus will get to you too. As the end of the day comes, the inner circle, they see their opportunity. They're tired, hungry. The guys in the inner circle are tired and they're hungry. And and so you see a a window of opportunity. The, The idea is, okay, here we can go to Jesus. And so you go and you have this conversation. Jesus interrupt for just a minute, but but we're out here in the middle of nowhere. The day is almost over. There's no Waffle House out here. There's no McDonald's out here. So could you, why don't you, it might just make sense for you to dismiss this crowd, let them go into town and find something to eat. 
And you remember the response from Jesus here in the text. Jesus doesn't say, well, that's a great idea. Jesus says, no, I don't need to let them go away. Why don't you feed them? Why don't you, talking to his inner circle, you give them something to eat? Maybe at work sometime, you've had your boss throw something on your plate that seems like the impossible thing to accomplish. This is the impossible thing to accomplish. They've already they've surveyed around. We've, we've got five loaves and two fish here. Hello, we're, we're not going to feed two people here, much less 5,000. Without Jesus stepping in, this is literally impossible. Jesus, we we couldn't get this done even if we really were selfless enough to want to feed these people. We we can't do it. But imagine what it must have been like for those in the inner circle. As Jesus takes that meager amount of food, and as Brother Bill said, He puts hands on the food, and as He breaks that bread, He breaks it and He hands some out, and then there's more to break. And as He continues, I can't imagine what it must have been like to see that going on, that selflessness. And again, He's hurting, and all of this is happening, and it's late in the day, but He's still feeding the people. The third thing we see from Him is His concern for His inner circle. Because everybody eats, they gather up the extra, there are twelve baskets full left. And the very next thing that you see in the text, I believe it's verse 22, Matthew uses the word, then immediately, Jesus, He takes His inner circle, He takes the guys and He says, listen, you all go on, I'm going to put you in the boat, I want you to head on out, and I'm going to stay around and I'll dismiss the crowd and concern for His inner circle. A couple of likely reasons for turning those guys loose. Number one, they are tired and they need to rest. But there's this other backstory here. You remember last week we noticed John chapter 6, verse 15. And in that verse, in the, the cross-reference account to this scenario, it said that Jesus realized that the, the people, the multitude, they wanted to make Him a king by force. And he probably realized that for the good of his inner circle, his inner circle didn't need a lot of discussion going on about that. They really didn't fully understand it all either. And he probably realized they didn't need to be hearing that kingship talk. But for whatever reason, he turns them loose. And it just seems crazy. I mean, how many times does the star of the show... Stay around to clean up the mess, to dismiss the crowd, to, 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 to close everything out. I mean, we go to see a show, and while we're still filing out of the arena, the, the star of the show is probably halfway to the airport already, while we're just trying to get to the parking lot, because that's normal. The star of the show never stays around to clean up the mess. But see, the thing with Jesus was, He never regarded Himself as being the star of any show. That's why we call Him the selfless servant. And so finally, after staying around to dismiss that crowd, finally after having healed God only knows how many people, having fed all of those people, finally, He goes up on the mountain and He prays. Which is what He's wanted to do all day. Because He's hurting. You realize it's not yet over. Because there's one more thing that's going to happen that night. 
He starts off across the sea and he's going to catch up with the guys who are already way out there in the boat and it's a stormy night, it's nasty weather and so he's out there and there's this immediate rescue of Peter that's going to occur. Now I don't recall any experience in my life of maybe feeling like I was going to drown. I was thankful to have learned to swim very young and... but my dad tells a story about being a young boy and they would go swim at the Y. And when you'd get ready to go into the pool area, the lifeguard would ask you a question. And he would ask you this. He would ask you, can you swim? And if you could not swim, he would issue you a float. If you could swim, you were not allowed to have a float. And so my dad couldn't swim. The lifeguard asked, can you swim? He says, no. And so he's got a float. My dad's mean cousin is behind him. And the mean cousin looks at the lifeguard and says... He can swim. He just wanted a float to play with. Well, the lifeguard, he didn't have a trial on the spot. He just grabbed the float and threw my dad in the deep end. Well, I'm here, so you realize it did have a a happy outcome. But, you know, as my dad tells the story, he said, I was going under for about the third time. The lifeguard finally decided that I really couldn't swim and jumped in there and pulled me out of the pool. Jesus shows up walking across the sea, scares them all half to death. And he says, it's I, don't be afraid. And if Philip goes in the boat, Philip's going to be thinking and maybe saying out loud, well, if it's really you, please get in the boat, stop scaring us half to death. While you're at it, just go ahead and make it stop this stormy stuff. But that's not Peter, is it? Peter's response is, well, Lord, if it's you, let me get out of the boat. Command me to come to you. And and Jesus says, come. And so Peter, I I don't know if you can imagine that, you know, putting that first foot over the side of the boat and your, your foot out into the water, but not into the water, your foot's on the water somehow. And your second foot's on the water and you're literally walking across water toward Jesus. Hard to imagine. And But then he gets distracted. And he begins to sink, eyes away from Jesus. And maybe the most immediate or the most amazing thing about this immediate rescue is as Peter's sinking, Jesus wasn't letting him go under three times to see if his faith would return or or anything like that. He didn't step back and say, well, maybe Peter ought to just let you drown. Peter's sinking and, and, and he says, Lord, save me. And Matthew again uses the word immediately in the text. Immediately, Jesus extends that arm and pulls him out of the water. That's how close Jesus is. I don't know what life has done to you that that, that may have punched you in the gut and removed your breath from you, but if there's something where for whatever reason you feel like you're sinking, that's how close Jesus is. When you're ready to reach out and plead for Him, He's right there for you. Jesus, His selflessness is extraordinary. As a man, as God that we'll talk about next week, He is anything but ordinary. The life that He lived, it reflected everything that He taught. And so as Bradley gets ready to lead us in the song that we use to encourage this morning, the question is, have you allowed Jesus to rescue you. 
because you know where we're going in this story. His selflessness is never more on display in making that trip to the cross. And, and he did that hurting. He did that having been beaten and, and not just punched in the gut, but he pleaded with God, God, if there's another way to get this done, he's hurting as he does that, but he's so selfless that he goes to the cross for us. And I'm thankful that Bradley chose to lead it as well with my soul this morning. Because ironically, as we think about Jesus rescuing people, if you remember the backstory, the source of that great hymn being written, it was written by a guy who'd lost his daughters. They'd been lost at sea. And at the point in the ocean, as he's crossing the ocean, the captain comes and says, well, you know, we're right about where your daughters went down, where a rescue was needed, where a rescue did not happen at that place. He pins the words to this great hymn that we love. Yes, there hadn't been a rescue for his daughters, but he's writing it as well with my soul because of the rescue that Jesus provided then and even today. And so the self-exam question anytime we're singing It Is Well With My Soul, it's a very simple one. Can you sing that today? In spirit and in truth. Is it well with your soul? And if it's not, what can Jesus do to rescue you today? Most of us are Christians, but, but sometimes, like Peter, in that moment, we, we get our eyes off Jesus and, and maybe you're, you, you've slipped back into the sea for whatever reason. Are you ready for Jesus to reach out and, and, and help you again? We can pray for each other. Maybe you're here today and you're ready to be baptized to begin your walk with Him. If you need to do that, we're ready to assist as well. If we can help in any way, let us know why we stand and why we sing.